My name is Juan Tutei Lee, and I'm a television writer. Welcome to The Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. Thank you. What does it mean to be Vietnamese to you? Um, I would have to say, like, I, I only know how to be Vietnamese American. We just had this conversation with a couple of other friends, but, you know, um, it, it's uh, to be Vietnamese American means that you have to be um, a lot of things. It, ha- it means you have to be Vietnamese with your family and it has to be you have to be American in your corporate workplace. Um, and it's about the balance of having a foot in each country and being the bridge between two cultures. When you were growing up, did you have that all figured out or were you kind of, um, you know, stumbling along like the rest of us? Oh my God, I had no idea what was going on and I had no idea what my identity was. And, um, you know, I really struggled with all the values from my parents and how they wanted us to speak Vietnamese at home, eat Vietnamese food, go to temple, um, uh, honor Buddha, all that kind of stuff. But meanwhile, going to school and having to learn, because I grew up in Houston, Texas, but just learning how to blend in, how to not get beat up by kids and how to just sort of like um, survive in you know elementary school and just to blend in and how to be American. And it was all centered around whiteness, which, you know, as I'm older, I'm like, I am not white. So how do I fake that? Or how do I how do I just um, assimilate to all of that and protect myself from being outcasted or being, you know, told that I was weird or, you know, um, so it was, I mean, it's the, the journey to understanding my identity has been a, a very long process and is still ongoing. So wherever I go, it's like um, anytime I enter a room, and uh, it's a social environment or even a work environment. It's like, okay, where is, how do I fit into this construct of what's going on in this little microcosm? So, yeah. You, you're like the, the seventh or eighth uh, Houston, Houstonian Vietnamese woman that I, that I know and I've met. I actually had dinner with two of them last night. And uh, they were both talking about how um, Houston, and you just brought it up, like you said, fighting and, and, you know, get beat up. It seems like, you know, that's a thing. <laughs> that's a, a theme uh, coming out of Houston. Oh, no. Like the women are tougher or the, the men are, I'm making a generalization, but Vietnamese women seem to have engaged in a little bit more fighting. Um, this is what I've seen. I mean, I can't ever say I got into a fight, but I knew that that there were bully, there's plenty of bullying going on. So it was a little bit of um, survival skills kicking in at a very young age, just trying to like survive elementary school in Houston. And it, you know, I I can remember in my body, the feeling of like, oh shit, like so many signs are telling me that I don't necessarily belong here. Or like, there's a lot of just um, not suspicion because we're all just kids, but just like, okay, she's, different so and i don't i don't want to feel like that so how do what do i need to do how do i need to behave to like just be cool with everybody 
And yeah. when did you move out to LA? Um, I moved out to LA immediately after college. I went to college at the University of Texas in Austin, um, which was a great experience. Um, and I moved out, I did a play like my junior year that I was in college. I was invited to do a play at the Blank Theater in West Hollywood. And that was my first exposure to um, Asian American artists and Asian American um, you know, acting community. So I did did this play that I wrote when I was a junior um, in college in Austin and they cast Latinos to be in my play to play Vietnamese characters because there there were no Vietnamese or there weren't even any any Asian actors uh, around the theater department at the time. So I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then come out to LA and I do this play and it was a full Asian cast. And it was the first time I was like, oh my gosh, there's like, I could actually get Asian actors to be in my play. And um, they were super cool. And like, I didn't know anything, Ken, about LA or Hollywood or anything like that. And they basically sat me down and they were like, well, you know, what are you going to do after college? And I thought I was going to like go to New York and be a playwright, but they were like, you can come out here and work in uh, TV. You can work in film. You can, you know, learn what that is. And there's a community here and, you know, there's a lot of actors in the community and we need more writers. And so I was like, oh, okay, cool. So basically that play and that cast, um, you know, I moved out to LA after I graduated from college and I had, I got to sleep on the sofas of a lot of the actors in that who were cast in that play. So they helped take me out to LA and really like, I'm so grateful for them because they like changed the course of my life. What, what year was that? I want to say that was 1999. Oh, wow. That's so early. Yeah. I I always thought you were you were a later transplant, like whenever we met, you know, when um, which is like 2010 or 2012 yes. or something. But 99 is very early. I mean, that's it was really early to get a start in TV. And I feel like um, you know, Asian writers who want to do uh, TV and film who are coming out, you know, uh, to LA to pursue all that in like 2010, 2015, it's a much easier um, journey for them. I had a very slow learning curve. Like it it took me a while to figure everything out because there just wasn't a lot of opportunity back then. And since then, the streamers have boomed and so there's way more opportunities for people to get their start in tv but yeah when i came out it was like there's no opportunity and you have to be really really good at what you do and you have to be really really lucky and you know fall in with the right people to um get these opportunities now that now this all makes sense because you know um when i talk to my friends about you and that you know there's so much accolades and you know the amount you're such a prolific writer and one of the top uh in in the vietnamese uh community you are at the top i mean when it comes to television a lot of uh, us know that but i always wondered like how did you get there so early so quickly coming out here in my mind 2012 but now 1999 that all makes sense but now when i think about 99 the landscape you are truly right when you said that there was no opportunity i remember because that's around the time the Tim Bowie, Tony Bowie were sort of like taking off uh, in their careers and they were the only Vietnamese around that 
you know, you looked out in the landscape, it was the two of them and yeah. nobody else. Yeah, I knew of them and I knew of one executive who worked at NBC at the time, Quan Thang. And, uh, and those were, that was like my, really my only exposure to Vietnamese Americans in entertainment at the time. And I was just like grateful that they were there because it felt like, okay, I'm not the only one out here. Um, but in hindsight, it felt really stupid to come out here and not know anyone <laughs> and not really have any relation or networking to like anyone who could teach you anything. But yeah, it was a really, uh, it, it was a, a completely different business at the time and there wasn't a lot of you know a asian um community in, no. in hollywood i didn't realize kwan was that early too yeah he was an executive um on like saved by the bell the first Whoa. version of it and now there's a you know a, a reboot of it so that's how long ago that was incredible now in college did you uh kind of know that you were going to be a tv writer or film writer I didn't really know about TV and film at all because I uh, studied theater and I thought I was going to be a playwright. So I did the playwriting program. Um, and there's a great program at the University of Texas for all kinds of writers called the Michener Fellow, uh, the, the Michener Writing Center. And I got a lot of my scholarships um, as an undergraduate playwright from that center. So uh, that was, you know, a great experience. And I got to there wasn't even a playwriting program for undergraduates, but um, I got to create a, a, a sort of scenario where I got to write a play every year and I just had a faculty advisor. And so we would work on the play, talk about the play. So I had a great practice by, and just doing the work and writing a play every semester and putting it on um, you know, a small stage. So I thought I was gonna be a playwright. And uh, that's just what I knew of entertainment as I, I went to go see a lot of plays at the Alley Theater in Houston. And um, I just, I thought that I'd end up moving to New York. Um, I didn't know anything about how to start a career in TV or film when I moved out to LA. And I didn't even know anything for like years too. I was bouncing around from like temp job to temp job, just trying to pay bills. Um, and then I finally got a job at um, a network where I was like, oh, this is how people, you know, develop, produce, execute a TV show. And I was like, oh, okay, that was interesting. And then I didn't realize that there was actually like a starter position if you wanted to be a writer and didn't know how to be a writer first, it's called the writer's assistant. So every TV writing staff has a support staff writer's assistant or a writer's PA. And I had no idea like, oh, this is a place where you can actually go and learn and hang out with writers and learn the craft. So I got, um, you know, through that connection, I was able to get a job as a writer's assistant on a show called LAX starring Heather Locklear and Blair Underwood. It was for NBC and it was supposed to be like an evening soap and the Russo brothers who are now like do all things Marvel. They directed that pilot um, but that was my, really my first exposure to what the business of TV writing and TV production was. And before then, I had no clue. Um, now, the, that first job you said at NBC, was it like a desk job, like, a random desk job, or was it actually in, the, in a writing position? It was a support staff job for the writing staff. So as a writer's assistant, 
every time they meet to talk about an episode or a story, the writer's assistant takes notes. So I would sit there and just type what they were saying, every single thing that they were saying all day long. And, you know, by the end of the day, it'd be like 20 pages of writer's notes. And you're supposed to like organize the notes and like, this is the idea that landed, or this is the idea that um, the, sh- the boss, the showrunner decided that he liked or whatever it was. So like, you're just writing, uh, uh, you know, writing down what every writer is saying all day long. But so it's, it's a desk job, but the thing is like, you get to see how they work and you get to see how they think. And you got kind of got to see like the, you know, this small family community that is organized very, very quickly. And it's a collective of different people with different ideas and experiences and, and everyone had a different approach on how they would work. Um, and their craft was different. So it's just being a sponge hanging around writers, professional writers and learning what they do. And then you also got to see like the draft phase and how you turn in a draft and like how you get notes and you get notes so much from, from the writers, from the executives, from the producers, um, from the network executives, from the actors. So it was that first writer's assistant job, like really taught me the job of being a, a TV writer. And it was super cool. And I, you know, the, the show got canceled after the first uh, couple of episodes. It didn't even make it as a full first year, but um, I got to learn so much on that first job and I got to make like friends for life on that show. That system that you just described is sort of universal around town here in LA. And um, it sounds like it's been, it's evolved from many, many decades of um, TV staff people yeah. just, you know, perfecting this science of, of the room. Um, I, I want to jump ahead a little bit and talk about that system being implemented in another country like Vietnam. Mm. How much power or how much structure and intentionality do we need to get something like that going in Vietnam to compete with not even the quality or I'm just saying to compete with that level of structure in a country like Vietnam? Gosh, that's a really good question. I really, I, I really don't know, but I know that it can be replicated. You know, um, it's, it's served so many shows here and it can be taught and it can be replicated the structure of it anyways. Like, yeah. um, you know, you can bring writers, Vietnamese writers to a room and tell them you have this X many amount, uh, uh, number of weeks to come up with X many number of scripts and, uh, you know, tell that story. You have to have one head writer who makes all of the decisions. Um, and it has to be, you know, a very open, honest environment where writers are able to sort of speak their mind and pitch whatever they think you need that one key head writer to be able to filter through all of those ideas and you know say this is what we're doing and everybody else needs to like get behind the vision of what the head writer's show is and try to support that vision so i think i think it can be replicated yeah at what point do we get, I'm not saying you specifically, but at what point do we get a quality writer who has that much experience like you to go back to Vietnam to create that 
And the second part of that question is, can it be done through digital, like a Zoom call um, from LA? Absolutely, it can be done through Zoom. I've been Zooming since 2020, since basically April 2020 when um, pandemic mm -hmm. pandemic started. And I've, so it's, it's 2020, so it's been around two years and that I've been working nonstop on Zoom with a room, with a couple of different rooms. So you can do it over Zoom. Um, you know, there's so much about room stuff and room culture uh, that is, that it's it's really hard to teach. You kind of just have to do it and, and to be exposed to it. But, you know, writers are sensitive. And um, if you, you know, pitch a bad idea, you don't want a writer to feel bad for pitching a bad idea or like nobody else understands your idea. So you have to create the most safe cocoon of an environment for all of the writers to feel like their voice is valid and that their ideas are good. And you have to be able to explain like why we're going with this idea because it services the main character or why we're not going with this idea because it's not production friendly or because it's just, you know, not within the style of the source. So you, you definitely need someone who just at the top knows what they're doing and knows how to guide everybody else. And, um, you know, I've been in a couple of rooms where it gets hairy because it's toxic because personalities don't gel and it's the worst creative environment ever. Um, and you, you, you want to protect every room from that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just think, you know, it, it, if, if, if you're trying to replicate what's happening in Hollywood, I can think it can totally be done, but I think, um, you know, the, if, if it's something that you want to start it, you just need a couple of people, who are really supportive showrunners and who really know that part of showrunning is mentoring and um, creating a safe space and to get and be able, it's, it's like a superpower, the showrunners who I've worked with have done as well, to be able to pull out the best strengths of every writer, to be able to like say, how can that writer help the show and help me um, execute my vision? So it's, it's, it's totally doable. There's a plethora of questions uh, for me that I've prepared in terms of like, you know, what, what constitutes a good writer and yada, yada, yada. But before that, I mean, I, these questions pop into my mind. How do you get rid of a bad writer or a bad fit? Um, you know, these toxic rooms have a person that is not quite suited to be in that team. Like, how do they yeah. get rid of those people? Uh, it has to be done quickly. Um, if you... Um... You know, nobody wants to work with a toxic personality anywhere. But from what I've seen in, in my experience, the showrunners who've been able to um, locate that somebody is a problem and sees that this person's toxicity is affecting the room in a negative way, it is the kindest and the most moral thing to do to say, thank you, it didn't work, but I wish you the best, and to um remove that person from the staff as fast as you recognize that it's not a problem that can be fixed because it can uh just really sort of hurt the creativity and the flow and just the health of the room if there's like you know someone who's toxic and look lots of things are going on 
with people personally. So you never know what's going on with someone. Yeah. But if it's not a good time for someone to be working on this show, it's kind of the moral thing to to say like, this is not working out. You know, um, I wish you the best. And maybe that gives them the opportunity to go work out what's going on with them. That's yeah. That's that's making them bring the toxicity to the show. Like you, you just don't know what's going on with your coworkers and, and their personal life, especially you know the past couple of years. So. Yeah. I'm gonna make a funny analogy. When I think of like an MMA fighter, I think of jujitsu. I think of like the ground grappling game. I think of like striking. There's so many of these aspects in a modern writer. Like when I think of a modern writer, probably having so many levels and so many different tools in their tool bags, like an MMA fighter. Today, what are some of those things? What are some of those tools that young writers need to develop before they get to a, a room? Um, you look for like just passion and point of view. Like what are the movies that this writer loves? And like, is it a fit for the show that you're working on? And are they like super excited and they have that passionate energy to bring to the room? Like you kind of want to, you're excited to work with that type of writer at any level. Um, you know, another skill is sort of just, um, understanding what production is. Cause like you can, there are writers who can write well, but then to translate that into like, is this script producible? And can this mm. person go to set and work with the crew and work with actors to produce an episode? That's a whole other set of skills um, that, you know, was learned on the job. Um, and, you know, I, a really important thing to me is just to be a good citizen of the oh. world and to um, have manners and to respect who you're working with. Um, even if you don't get along with the toxic personality in the room, you have to be compassionate and you have to respect that they're trying their best. At least that's the hope that everybody's trying their best. So just to to acknowledge, uh, to not take things personally if they're having a bad day or if you're having a bad day or if just the room is not having a bad day. It's not you know a statement on, on, on you and it's not you personally. It's just like what's going on during the day. But to every day like put forth your best effort in the room and like, um, my favorite writers are the writers who don't bring their ego into a room and who like ask themselves every time they open their mouth to like pitch something, will this help my showrunner? Will this help my show? Will this help the episode? Even if the episode is not mine and you're, you're there the week to support another writer's episode, like if you are there to service somebody else, that's my favorite type of writer who sees that it's not about you. Like you don't have to win every time you pitch. If somebody doesn't like your idea, you know, and you get grumpy about it, it's like super obvious in the room that your ego is speaking very loud. And then it's just like, then it just makes the room a little bit weird. And anyways, like, I think, I feel like I've been able to survive this long in this industry is because um, I'm, I'm, I I'm go out of my way to like put other people's, needs first and that i think that it just becomes really helpful to the unit yeah what a great answer the the, the answer that you you led with in, in the beginning which is be a good citizen that's that's not an obvious answer but it, it is everything you know what like to be able to just get hired onto a tv yeah. writing staff means that you have written a good sample somewhere and somebody read it and it was like there's talent there i've never worked with a writer who was talentless you know, I, I've worked with writers whose tastes aren't in alignment with mine, 
but everyone that I've ever worked with has a, a, a huge, has had, has shown talent somewhere and you can use that to the benefit of the show. Um, so talent and getting hired on a show, like the talent isn't a problem because if you um, allow the environment for every individual's talent to shine through, you're good. The problems have been with, you know, just writers who aren't, who might feel like they're not getting along with the, the room or just personalities. Um, and you kind of have to just nurture everybody's personality and create the most healthy environment possible and to make it really feel like a, a collaboration in a team. And, um, you know, just I, the competitiveness that people usually bring into the job is just, it just ends up being toxic. And sometimes there's healthy competition, you know, um, but that's sort of gained with and earned with trust. But yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. So being a good citizen and just sort of caring about the show, um, having passion for the show, wanting to help your showrunner and the other writers, just trying to deliver like the best product possible, the most entertaining product possible. When I'm looking at the body of work that you've worked on and I see, you know, different genres or different uh, TV uh, type shows, um, you could see that there's some variety and that they're, that you're not typecast in one um, specific uh, direction. But when you go on to like a new uh, show, um, and what you just answered is sort of they want to see the passion or the excitement for uh, that show or previous experience that is related to, to, to the show. But I mean, you, there's no way that you really, like Criminal Minds, there's no way that you would fully know the world like how do you come up to speed with everybody else in uh on the team um you should just try your best man <laughs> there's no guarantee that it's gonna work out with your <laughs> job and that you get into you're just like white knuckling your table and you're like i don't know these people but i'm this is a group marriage. I got to work with everybody for long hours every day and on weekends. And you just pray for the best. That's the best that you can do. I did not expect white knuckles. That's scary. No, no it's it's not scary. Actually, you know, like fear is one version of it. Excitement is another. And at this point now, I get excited. I'm like, oh, I wonder who all of these people are. I wonder what their personalities are. I wonder what they love. Like, I'm just curious as to like, how the blend is gonna to come together. Um, so it is like, there's a lot of uh, unknown about in starting a first job and, you know, uh, or starting a first day on a job on a new show and trying to figure out how this show is gonna to come together with this group of people. Um, but it's, it's uh, I've been through it enough times now to be like, it's, it's, it's uh, intoxicating. It's um, fun. Exhilarating. For yeah, it's like, ooh, I wonder how this puzzle is going to work out. And I, I I, get into a pattern of like observing and seeing, oh, okay, so and putting the story in place of like, oh, this is how it's going to work. This person's really good at that. We're going to rely on that person to do that skill set. This person's really good at this other thing. So like the puzzle of how everybody's um, talents can come together, you know, to create a show and, and a series and a season is pretty exciting to me still. And and what about like the technical aspects of the world that you 
you come into? I mean, there's no way that you know everything. And how do you get to know the intricate details of the world? No one knows everything about the show that they're working on, even if they created it. Even the showrunner and the creator of a show is trying to figure out not only the world of the show, but how we're going to write the show, how we're going to produce this show together. Um, so I, I, I don't think, I've never said to myself, holy crap, I'm not equipped to enter this job. Because hopefully by the time you start the job, you will have read, you would have seen the show or read the pilot or seen the pilot or read the books that you need to read to sort of catch you up to speed to like give you a little bit of a um, baseline for trying to understand the show. But then when you get into the room, you're all figuring it out together. And that's the beauty of working on a staff with a bunch of other people. Like not one person doesn't need to know everything. Um, you know, you need to know what you know and know what you're good at and bring that to the room. That's very cool. It, 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 uh, just knowing that it's just kind of like life. You just come in and do your best and yeah. hopefully you know what tools you're bringing into the, uh, to the group. Yep. Yep. Now, how much television do you watch? Oh my God. I used to watch so much of it, but, um, I mean, I'm a mom now and, you know, so, uh, and I have, I, I work a lot, so I'm, I'm watching less TV than I used to. But like when I first started, I would watch old shows and old reruns. And I mean, I would watch, you know, every episode of X-Files um, on repeat. So I, I used to watch a ton of TV and I used to like just every weekend go see a new film, go see a new film. And I just, I loved it. Um, but these days uh, I'm just sort of working on my show and just sort of working on some of my other projects. And when I'm not working, I'm, I'm trying to be a, a very present um, and engaged parent. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's pretty much my life these days. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Um, it, was there any aspirations to go uh, in TV or film? Um, any path that was stronger than the uh, other? No, none at all. Because like I said, I knew nothing when oh. I moved out to L.A. Um, and, you know, I didn't go to film school. And I, so I didn't really sort of learn about film. I never picked up a camera. I, I was just always a writer. Um, so the, it, it just so happened that the, my life's path brought me to TV because it was just sort of where I first got my jobs in LA was in TV and not, um, in features. Yeah. And, and, um, it's strange to say it today, but at one point, um, all the film kids were like, I'm never going to TV. It's all about film. Like yeah. everybody was. Yeah. 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 yeah I remember. I remember our friends turning their nose uh, down at me. Like, you work in TV? Okay, whatever. Anyways, back to that. Really? No, no, no. I, I joke, but I, I do, I have a memory of that sort of attitude. Um, and then the, and at the time, I totally understood it, you know? But now the market has changed so drastically. Dramatically, yeah. Yes, I mean, even I, in the last five, 10 years. That Netflix, is, uh, Game of Thrones, that all of that just changed all of the streamers yeah. all the streamers yeah just changed yes. totally changed everything i mean the money too yeah I mean, it's probably the money first right opportunity you know you kind of go where the jobs are yeah if you want to be working so and there are there's like over 500 scripted shows every year so that's where the opportunities are now 
This next question is about um, Asian Americans or Vietnamese, but I think it's two different, kind of two different things. Um, I'm going to try to ask it in a way that's clear, but I, I feel like this idea of abundancy and and um, and what's the opposite of abundancy? Um, scarcity. Yeah. Yeah, scarcity and abundancy uh, within the within the Vietnamese ranks um, years past was, you know, we were a little bit living, you know, I, I can't speak for everybody's experience, but for me, uh, we were a bit living in the scarcity uh, throughout, you know, even in my business life uh, or film or entertainment, whatever, there's this little bit of scarcity where we're kind of like not uh, really abundant with, with the way we, we, we hand off our, our contacts or introductions uh bao win is very good at being generous with that kind of stuff and that's a new generation but do you do you find that it's changed i i you know i don't know the answers to that question because there weren't um i didn't find other vietnamese americans who worked in tv before me so you know, maybe there wasn't even an opportunity to be scarce or to be abundant at the time because I was just sort of in, on my own island for so long. Um, but nowadays, um, you know, I'm I'm uh, older now and I have a, a lot more experience. So I'm kind of the senior writer um, uh, uh, in, in certain circles. And if anyone was like, can I have 10 minutes with you? Can I have a Zoom with you? I'm like, yes, please let me share with you everything that I didn't know when I first got here. Let me like give you shortcuts so that it doesn't take you so long to, to, to start your career. Cause it took me a while, you know, um, there are so many different writing programs and directing programs out there, that there's like a database of people who can direct you on like where you can go to a program just to get education and just to get practice. There's, there's just, there's a lot more resources for people who want to start in the business now than there was when I started. So but what are the criteria of you making that introduction or you saying, Hey, I'll give you 10 minutes on a zoom or, you know, whatnot. I zoom, I zoom with a lot of Vietnamese American writers and just, just writers who are starting out all the time. Um, and it's usually through someone who knows someone and I'm always like, yes, I will give you my time because it's, uh, you know, I got nieces and nephews and I got a kid. So I want them to be able to um, have the opportunity to create content so that they see their faces in stories. Yeah. So I'm like invested in that and I want all that. So, um, you know, uh, I'm always kind of open and I'm always just doing Zooms for writers who are sort of just starting out. Um, the theater company that did my play, I work with them every year and I, um, it's a, it's a young playwrights festival. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the hefty renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. But I always take that group of playwrights who are finalists in this sort of uh, play 
festival and I take them to the show that I'm working on, or, you know, I give them my phone number and my email. So I'm like, if you have any questions and you want to come to LA and you want to really learn about TV and get into TV, call me. So, um, um, the, the flow, there's a constant flow and stream of mentoring or of like people calling for advice. So, uh, so that's my experience of it. Yeah. I can't, I, I can't speak to the scarcity from people who came before me because there were no other people before me in, in the Vietnamese American community anyways. But when I reached out to people who were not, who were just in the community, I always found open doors. So it wasn't, it didn't feel to me like I was shut out for any particular reason, you know, where I asked for help, help showed up. So um, I can't really speak to like, any sort of scarcity in that sense of like being generous with advice and, and networks and connection. Now, this might be a controversial question. Uh, glass ceilings, bamboo ceilings. Do you believe in that stuff? Or do you believe like just do a kick-ass job and you're going to get promoted and you're going to well, get work? It's not a question of whether I believe or not. It's there. You know, I've seen it. Uh, it's definitely there. Um, you can't power your, you can't work your way past like, any of that, like you can't like just go, you know, grind as hard as you can and you'll get to where you need to go. I mean, I know that the glass ceiling or the bamboo ceiling exists. I'm not, I haven't had an experience where I've focused on that or have like really butted up against it because I've only focused on myself and the work that I do. And I've worked consistently for a, a long time now. So, um, I don't, you know, I might, I might be naive to think this, but like when I'm not on a show, I'm developing other stuff or I'm writing a pilot or I'm writing a feature. And that always opens the door to a different opportunity. So I'm constantly working on a show or for myself or developing something. And that has always led me to a new job or a new opportunity. So, um, I, I, I know that the glass ceiling is there. I haven't been right under it and unable to break through yet. I'm, that might that may come very soon um, and I might be jinxing myself, but um, it's, you know, that notion of the, the glass ceiling and the idea of scarcity isn't something that I am in conflict with just because mm. like I've, I've just worked and, um, and it's, and I focus on the work. I can only control you know, the quality of my work. So that's sort of like what I focus on. Yeah, I think I made a mistake by cutting you off because I think you were going to answer something about you've experienced something and then I just cut you off because my brain was just, it just, no. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I can't remember what I was about to, if I yeah, was I, Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Hmm. Now, you know, um, how different is theater writing and screenwriting? Oh my God, it's so different. Um, if I was a successful playwright, I may never do TV or film because in plays and in the, in the theater world, the playwright is God. You know, the playwright is the top executive. The playwright's like, I want to do it this way. This is my vision. You have to honor the playwright's vision. And, you know, you're, you're collaborating with actors and, and directors and all of that too. But like, you have such a stronger say in what is, what ends up on the page as a playwright in TV and in film, there are so many levels of notes that you have to take. Um, you know, you can start 
on an original idea and know that you have a vision for it. But by the time your producer has notes with you, by the time the studio execs have notes with you, the network has notes with you, then God forbid you're lucky enough to like actually get a green light and get on stage. You got to face a wall of actors who will have notes and just production who are like, this is uh, you know unproducible, so we have to make these changes. So it is a miracle to me every time somebody starts off with an original idea and it actually like gets executed and comes to fruition and you have like a product to show because sometimes the end product can be so different from where you started as the creator and visionary of um, a concept or an idea that it's almost unrecognizable. Well, why do you think that there is such a difference in the theater uh, writer and the screenwriter? Um, I think money and ownership have a lot to do with it. Like, as I understand, uh, theater uh, writing, the stage, the, the, the writer, the, 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 the words, the dialogue doesn't change, right? Like, right. you control that. You're like, no, right. that doesn't. Right. doesn't get changed the way I, I wrote the way I wrote is the way it's going to go down right. and, and screenwriting it's a totally different animal yeah and I feel like there's just a different culture between playwright and um playwriting and screenwriting too because the the culture is like um you know in in plays okay uh the playwright's words are written in stone and I'm just sort of here to do the play when you um, the the culture in screenwriting is in, in TV writing is just so different because so many people have a say, and you have to have that open channel for people to give you notes or to ask you about your script, and it you know it's a it's a lot of um, people's opinions you have to consider. It, it's a wonder, and it, it's amazing to me that the theater is still alive. I know. Yeah, right. I mean, why would you want to be a theater writer? It takes just about the same amount of work, if not kind no. of more, no? Theater is so magical in a different way than because theater is live and you're like, they're doing it, you know, every night and there's, you can't call cut, you know? And so there's the magic of that, but also like, it's a, uh, I, I think playwrights, like, if, if you are the type of writer who just really wants your words to be honored on the page, then the theater is where you should be going. But if you um, want to work in TV and film, you have to be able to collaborate and you have to be able to consider everyone's opinions because you have to, if you get notes from an executive, you have to execute it unless you, like, reach a level, a level of, like, success where you're just like, I'm not taking notes. But that's like, you know, maybe three people that I can think of in history that have ever have ever had that, you know, uh, that that luck. So, yeah. Are you um, you are you working on any uh, features? I am. Um, I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about it. OK, we don't I need to. to. I just I'm. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you feel comfortable. Yes, I am working on a feature and it is a bilingual Vietnamese American teen um, rom-com that is a uh, adaptation of a book. So, That's um, wonderful. And is this your first uh, feature? It's the first. Well, what do you consider a first feature? Like um, yeah. I've written a bunch of features. None of them have ever been made. 
Um, I've written some features and I've gotten paid for them, but they've never been made to. So this is another situation where like, it's a, it's, it's a job and, you know, um, and you get the job and you try to do the best that you can and you hope that somebody likes it enough and that um, who's in the position to make a decision and uh, that it'll get made. Now, in your mind, is there a distinction with the prestige of getting a feature made or, you know, it's all the same to you, whether TV gets made or, you know. I don't know any better yet because I don't have the experience of having a feature made. So I don't know. Like, I don't know what the sort of reward. I mean, I can take my best guess because I've had friends who've had their features made, um, but they haven't had the same sort of career in 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 TV as I have. So, um, yeah, I'm curious. I, yeah. I'm so curious because. You know, I mean, if you're working consistently for years in TV and you're making all that money and, you know, your words on the page and pages, your words on the screen. Yeah. And then you you do this feature and gets made and the same thing happens. But there's a different dynamic when you are attached to a feature, right? Yeah, I think, you know, as far as I know, as far as this job, like, like I'm just the hired writer. You know, who knows if I'll ever be able to even go on set or to like have or to partake in the production of it. You know, um, in TV, if you're writing, you are producing it. You're making a lot of decisions about who to cast and what something looks like and what production uh, uh, looks like and what the conference looks. So you have a lot more creative responsibility. Um, if features seems features seem like okay, you're hired to do this thing. And then that's it. And you don't know what comes after that, you know? So you try to just do your best and hope that uh, all of the uh, cards line up. Yeah, I'm, I'm still thinking of me decades ago when I'm walking on the street and if I got stopped and I'm like, oh, I would probably talk about my feature credit before my television credit, even if I made like a crap ton of money on the TV side. Does that still, does that paradigm still exist today? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Um, you're talking to somebody who like barely likes to talk about their career. <laughs> so yeah. if, if I, if you were going to approach me on the street, I would, that's not, I would be like, I, I'm super modest in that way. So I barely even talk about yeah. my career, let alone like, here's my feature credit. And, and yes, I did some TV too. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I understand. And thank you so much. I know that um, you are, every time we've met, you know, whether it's karaoke or, or in the parent group, you've always been very, you know, very modest about, you know, we don't talk about the work. And I, and I respect that. That's, that's an important thing. Um, I, I just, I, you know, I'm way more interested in what's going on in the moment. Yeah. Than like my own career. I'm like, Ooh, all of our kids are getting together. I wonder what, you know, like they're going to play and what they're going to learn. And like, if someone's karaoke, like I'm karaoke with them too. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one thing that I would, um, I advise a lot of young people when they're when they're first coming into the world of of this uh, LA entertainment scene to get to know people and not talk about work. Mm -hmm. That's so important. Mm -hmm. I love um, that. Yeah. Yeah. You you want to know what tacos they like to eat at, which stand, which corners, and uh, you know if they're into karaoke or not. If they you know play musical instruments and if what favorite bars they like to go to. I mean, those are the, the most important things, I think, uh, that that when you're trying to break into a community, you don't want to ever talk about the work. It's almost like a faux pas to me. Mm, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it it feels like uh, there's something in the front of your mind, and that's work. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, uh, I think I genuinely like just uh, prioritize the friendship over over the work. You know, and um, LA is a very transactional place. I mean, let's not yeah. you know kid ourselves. But at the same time, there's a, a protocol to this transact <laughs> transactional behavior, right? There's a science to all of this. Uh, there's a way of being that makes it very pleasant um, without being fake. It's yeah. just, you know, we're here to enjoy the moment. And, you know, if you like to cook or if you like to sing, you know, these are things that everybody in this city uh, enjoys on, uh, in, on one level or another. It's, you know... Uh, art, art is, you know, in cooking or in singing, and it's beyond filmmaking and, and writing or, or music. It's living. You know what, Ken? It's weird. Like, I've never had a phase, and I've been in L.A. for 20 years. Like, I, like whatever Gone Hollywood means, I've never had that phase. Like, I wasn't kind of ever seduced by that. Um, it's just my lifestyle has been, like, just super quiet and peaceful and modest and um uh hanging out with friends and like uh my work is very when i'm working i'm like very focused on my work and, but i'm able to sort of compartmentalize that yeah. and transition to like family life or social life with friends and it's just uh it's it's my i guess my identity hasn't ever been work my identity is like you know who i am with the people that i spend my time with yeah, your identity to me is uh, you're a damn good singer. <laughs> oh, my God. You're a super good singer. That's um, uh, Yeah, and then, you know, if people don't know Ham Tran, they, they, you know, they think of film, but he's a serious he, singer. Uh, yes. Yes. Um, Ham and Anderson are like, you know, I the moment I met them, I was like, but I feel like you, you're family, like, right away. Yeah. Um, and so we started karaoke right away and I was like, oh my God, they like love to sing. Uh, and it's so fun. Um, and, and it's also very stereotypical. Yes, we're a group of Asians who love to eat and uh, sing karaoke together, but I don't care. Like, it's just a blast every time. Um, and Anderson has like amazing song choices that you would never think the weirdest, most obscure song choices. Um, you can always rely on him for that. And, uh, yeah, so it's it's super fun. It's just a, such a great way to like get out your aggression or get out your uh, exhaustion. Yeah. Now, now, speaking of like real life, um, do you think that writers in particular need to have lived or like Emily Bronte, right? I think she was like notorious for being sheltered. She was, yeah. you know, a recluse, but right. she probably read a lot and exposed to other media to be able to synthesize ideas. Uh, what camp do you fall in? You fall in the, let's go out and live a bunch and so we can go back and write? Or do you, are you in the middle? Or do you like, fuck it, you don't even need to go out and live. Like you can just synthesize with the team of writers. Um, I think it always helps if you've had a life and you've had like full, rich life experiences because um, so many great ideas can come from lived experiences and relational experiences. You know, some of the most interesting writers that I've worked with had like really rich lives outside of writing. Like they were a lawyer before, or they were a cop before, yeah. or, um, you know, they volunteered at this place before, or like their, their 
experience outside of just writing is so refreshing. And um, they bring that to the table. Um, so I think it helps, but I don't think anything is necessary. I'm like a, there are no rules to mm. being a good writer. I think anyone can be a good writer, whether you have experience or not. Um, you know, I think, I think anyone, if they were sort of tapped into or channeled their creative creativity, they can write. And, and what about living in L.A. Uh, for anybody starting out uh, in their career? I mean, do you have to uh, move to L.A.? Do you find that that's a, a requirement? Not anymore. I used to say, yes, like you, you have to be here because all the meetings are here and, um, you know, all of the work is here. But we're working with writers who don't live in L.A. I'm working with writers on Zoom who live in other cities, who live in other states. I'm hearing of a lot of um, writers' rooms who are Zooming at, you know, interesting times because some of the writers are in New York and the other writers are in the UK. Um, so I don't think you have to be in LA anymore to be doing this. Yeah. You know, this is a random question, but, you know, I, I had been wondering um, since the writer strike and, you know, a lot of the writers had to, cut off their, you know, um, the, 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 whatever they had with their agents at the time, um, across the, 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 across the, the industry, like this is something that goes on between writer and agent, right? Is, is there any awkwardness between a relationship between a writer and their agents when these strikes happen? Oh, are you talking about a couple of years ago? Yeah. With the conflict of, yes. about packaging. Yes. We all had to fire our agents. Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I've always wanted to ask somebody who lived through that. And this yeah. is the first, and I wrote it in my notes. I'm like, I got to figure that out. I, I want to okay. hear it. So I had been with my agent, like since I started. So, you know, we're like loyal to each other. And I was like, oh my God, is this going to get awkward? But right before that um, authorization came through from the Writers Guild, he was like, this is what you're going to do. You're going to all fire us and you're going to, you know, sign your name on something to let us know you're all fired. People out above you, like meaning the guild leadership yeah. and um, leadership from all of the agencies are going to figure it out. At some point, they'll figure it out, they'll resolve it, and then you'll come back. And that's it. And that's exactly what happened. So he was super cool about it. And he wasn't like, how could you fire me? You know, I've worked for you and done good for you for like so many years. He wasn't like that at all. He was just like, uh, this is what's going to happen. Um, I won't talk to you during that time, but know that I, I love you and I'm supporting you. And then mm -hmm. when it's safe and clear for everybody to come back to work together, we will pick up as if we never left off. And that's exactly what happened. That's amazing. But, but that's probably um, boardroom meetings with agents and their bosses are telling them this is the way it's going to go down then what it sounds like yeah yeah so there was no um not you know we didn't no hard feelings no ill will with, with my agents um when that happens um that did last quite a long time yeah so i ended up getting a manager because i'd never had a manager before so then i got a manager who sort of um like really sort of opened up um opportunities for me and features and tv and while i wasn't with my agent i just worked with my manager and my manager got me some like incredible jobs really really great jobs 
Um, and so that's how I survived that episode. Now, you probably get asked, uh, since we're on this topic, you probably get asked this a lot, but what, what's the difference between a manager and an agent? Um, okay, so I have a TV, I have a, a couple of TV agents, and then I have a manager. So my TV agents um, help me get staffed on shows and help me to find producers to partner up with to develop new projects. And um, if there's like, if they're looking, if a show is looking for like a showrunner and my name happens to be mentioned, they'll try to like set that up and see how that all works out. So that's um, what my, that's how I've worked with my TV agents for all these years. My manager's like, she can, she does all of that too, but she has like kind of a, gr a greater wider view um, because she works uh, in work in, in getting TV and feature work. And, um, and I talk to her like way more than I talk to my, uh, agents. So we have like more comprehensive talks about like, what do I want to spend the next one or five years of my life doing? And she'll sort of work on stepping out a very long-term plan with how to achieve those goals. Um, so, uh, I guess in that sense, that's how, that's how it's been different for me. And she's, my manager's introduced to me feature work um, in a you know really successful way and has sort of shaped or creates sort of shaped meetings so that whatever I want to work on, she's trying to find the right partners to help me get to a place where like, this is the idea I have, who are the, you know, the best partners to figure that out with. Um, so it is a little bit different. They, there's a lot of um, uh, places where they cross. Right. Um, so they can do similar things. But to be honest, you're okay if you have just one. You don't need both. Um, but when you're signing contracts across the board, does the two agents and the manager get commissions? Or is it whoever brings the deal? Oh, so all everybody's getting a cut. Everyone's taking a cut of what I'm making. It's like my agents, my managers, and my lawyers. When you start to make deals, um, you have to, uh, I got to a point in my career where it's like, okay, now I really need a lawyer involved because the lawyers see contracts from all over the industry. So they actually have more information as far as contract terms come than your agents or your managers because they see way more, way more because that's what they're doing every day. So at this point, you know, I've got agents and managers and a lawyers. lawyer. So basically before the first check is cut to me, 30% is being taken out after taxes, which is another 35, 40% that's taken out too. So like I talk about this all the time, Ken, I'm basically making um, 30 to 35 cents on every dollar that I make after all of the commission and after all of the taxes. So at any time, you know, people are talking about like, oh my gosh, those TV writers out in LA, they're making so much money. Yes. We are making so much money, but the costs are so much higher too. Or the chunk that is taken out of our paychecks is pretty high too. Does but that look, beat you? I'm not does, complaining at all. Like, yeah, does it, that beat you up though? Um, on an emotional level when you think about it? No, because it would be so crippling to me emotionally <laughs> that I would not be able to get out of bed and do the work that I need to do. So I really can't allow it to beat me up. I just kind of just have to like keep going, you know? And everybody's dealing with it too. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I'll be honest, like they earn their commissions. Yeah. They earn their commissions because it's really hard to 
get a job and to get a, get the job that you want. So, um, you know, I, I love my reps and I think they earn every cent of it and they work for it. So, yeah. Have you been to Vietnam? Yes. A few times. And, uh, you know, is it a recent trip in the last five years? Um, I don't know. When was my last trip? My last trip might've been 10 years ago. Seven. Oh, wow. But like I graduated from college and I said to my mom and dad, please take me to Vietnam. Please like show me where you came from. Cause I really had like a burning desire to understand them and to understand my roots. So um, my parents were great. And they took me out the summer after I graduated from college and uh, they took me to Vietnam and I saw where my parents lived and I got to visit my Bawai and go do ye gao. So I got to see you know, my parents' life before we all fled uh, Vietnam as boat people. And it was a big eye-opening experience. Do, do you remember where they, um, where they're from? I have to ask my mom. <laughs> it's okay. I'm just wondering. I'm like, mom, what, what district was <laughs> your you, old house? <laughs> do you ever uh, think about going to Vietnam to join in the the fight with us uh making to do film and TV. yeah film and tv i tried once you know i would love to i tried once with ham and we were working on this comedy and i really struggled with the translation of humor um from what my understanding of what humor is to yeah. like what would work as humor in um in Vietnam and it's a different beast you know so um uh I would love to I, I mean I would just love to stop working and just spend a year in Vietnam um and just live there and to be a citizen of Vietnam you know for uh some time and to like like enroll myself uh in a hardcore Vietnamese language class there um, because I'm trying to learn here um and improve but it's just very slow going because you know bandwidth and all that but i would love to go to vietnam and spend a lot of time there and 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 shoot there and film there and and get to know the the vietnamese filmmaking community there yeah and, and, and at your level if you took a year or two off would it be difficult to get back in to hollywood i don't think so um no, and I like look. I fantasize about taking a year off, just to like decompress from the last couple of years, um, and just to see like what new fresh material might come my way of my own wellspring if I took a year off. And because a lot of the calls that are coming in for me are like, "There's this project going on," and it's, you know, there are projects that are already in development in some other way, form, or fashion. And I'd love to step away and really think like, what's the thing that I want to create and bring. Um, and I haven't really had the time to like really dive into that yet. I want to ask one last question. Um, what advice do you have for young Vietnamese American writers wanting to break into the business? At first I would say, please do it. Please try. Like, um, uh, you know, there's not enough of us. And um, I would love to see more younger Vietnamese American writers out here um, because I think there's a need for it to tell our stories. Um, and uh, if, if you love TV and film and you just 
you know, have a, an idea or a notion that this is something that you can um, do as a career, like it's totally possible, especially in TV, because the structure of TV is just sort of set up where you can learn from, you know, um, a starting position as, as, as a support staff. And you can learn and you can grow and you can and and uh, sort of ascend in a very structured way features is a whole other game so it's really sort of hard to like for me to describe how to get your start there you know and it's a little bit more difficult but at least there's a structure in tv for you to get a start um and so like my wish is just to like to come and to try and to do it um and uh the advice that i would have for them is to just at, at the beginning, I think you just have to watch a lot of stuff, know what you love and write. Like um, when I was starting out, I would write like I was a little bit way more prolific when I just started out than I am now. Like I would write six scripts a year, uh, TV scripts, and then maybe a feature just to learn the craft. And I think learning the craft is really important. important. Yeah. Um, make sure you actually know the craft and, and study the craft and learn what your craft is before you even like attempt it because there's there are you know things about structure and voice and character that you that are teachable that you can learn and adapt to your own skill set but like just learn your craft come out here and try it like i remember i was a little bit foolish because i didn't know what i was getting into but i was like i don't know if this can be done but i really want to do it and uh and at the time when I came out, like there wasn't a lot of support out there, but now there's like a lot more programs that are sponsored by the studios and the networks and, you know, CAPE, um, which is an Asian American organization for in professionals in the entertainment um, field. They uh, are a great resource. Jess Vu, who is Vietnamese, is also one of the um, key players there, but she's, there's, she's a resource, CAPE is a resource, um, and the studios have their own programs. Um, so I just, I, I hope that, that, uh, there's a lot more Vietnamese American writers coming out here and to try to direct, to try to write, to try to edit, to try to do costumes, just to fill out the world of all the very many jobs in TV and film. Yeah. Shout out to Jess. She's very helpful. Yeah. yeah. There's so much, um, source. Yeah. good source. Yeah. She's helped out with so many people that I know that, uh, that has, that needs advice, whether it's acting or writing or producing. And she's made so much introductions to, you know, my group and, and vice versa. So shout out to Jess Vu. Shout out to Jess Vu. I just texted my mom. I was like, what was the district of your old house? And she was like, oh, are you talking about Harris County? And I'm like, no, in Saigon, in Ho Chi Minh City. What district did we live in? Um, so I don't have an answer for you. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Juan, thank you so much. Um, I, as always, I, I learned so much today. And, you know, I was coming in with a little bit trepidation because Why? I was like, be, because, you know, you, you know, you know, here's the thing. What, what somebody like you after two decades, two and a half decades of like going through it, you don't well, realize. Not two and a half decades. I'm not that old. That's just like <laughs> less than two decades. <laughs> What, what you don't realize is the, you know, there's a sort of lore, there's a sort of, um, you know, reputation that really do, does precede you. And it sometimes it doesn't need to be said, but you could see the sort of the, the reactions of members around. And, you know, I, I could perceive it because I'm, I'm in the thick of it. And it's a good reputation and a respected reputation. And I appreciate you coming on to share these things. And I 
hope that people uh, recognize that, you know, all of this takes time and a lot of hard work. And okay. you were gracious enough to share that with me today. And, you know, it's a, a little bit intimidating to to know the history of somebody who comes on to uh, my podcast, who um, is willing to open up and be so modest and humble. But the listeners, I don't think, will understand like the the reputation that you have in the business. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't even see that, and I don't even understand that either. So I'm like, why would you have any trepidation? Uh, trepidation, because we've karaoke and meowed together, and we have had hot pot together. But that's, so, yeah, of course. but that's the thing, though. When we do those normal activities, we're just living. We're not doing, you know, like this is like I consider this work for me is my professional work. It's this is how I want to continue living for the next 20 years of my life is to sit and have conversations at a, at a serious level with people who have treated their work seriously. So when I approach this, it's like, I got to put my thinking cap on and it's not like my karaoke cap. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right? yeah. And I'm so grateful and happy that you are doing this podcast. Cause I've like listened to some of, some of them in the early ones with your, you know, your cousin and the MMA fighter. I was like, well, it's just so great to have a collection of other Vietnamese Americans um, in other parts of the world and their very unique and special life experience and journey too. It's like super fascinating. Um, Thank you. And I and I hope this this that I am the first of like a hundred of us Vietnamese podcasters because I keep telling this to everybody. If there's more than one of me, if there's ten of me then we can be amplified a lot quicker. It's like exponentially quicker, you know, if people like you create a podcast and we can go on each other's shows. And right now I can't go on anybody's shows because there's just nobody else. And, you know, we need more. We need more of this. Yes. And um, thank you for coming on. And I hope that we could do this, you know, throughout the next 20 years of my life, uh, much, much more and talk about the, the feature that, you know, once it's all like up and running and we can get back on and talk about that uh, experience. Yeah, I hope I don't mess it up and I hope that we can come back and uh, talk about it because um, it would be a great project to talk about. I'm like super excited about it. Awesome, and I am too. Juan, thank you so much again. Okay, okay, thank you. Okay, talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran, Special thanks to Jane Wynn, Catherine Wynn, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Crystal Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcast. Thanks again for listening.